And uh, so, yeah, so let's go ahead and just get into today's episode. Uh, a very special episode. Yes. And I just want to welcome everybody to our special edition episode of Monkey Business. This is Sierra. And this is Matt. Because Halloween is our absolute favorite holiday, we thought we would do a special episode on the spookiest primate on this planet. In fact, it was actually voted the spookiest primate. And by who? Uh, your favorite podcast host, me. <laughs> Hey, one for one. Yeah, one for one. <laughs> Woo! There we go. I got some more jokes in here, so you just get ready. I'll take that as a compliment. Um, today, we're actually going to be talking about the horribly terrifying, long-fingered, buggy-eyed, nightmare fuel of a primate called the I.I. Oliver, cue that spooky intro. <laughs> <laughs> So Matt, when we were talking about doing a special Halloween episode, you immediately said the I.I. Why do you think this is the spookiest primate? Okay, well, before I get to my justification, uh, let me first show you that I am not the only one who thinks these guys are spawns of the devil. Um, in Malagasy <laughs> culture, which Malagasy is just a word for people who live on Madagascar, um, the I.I. is often viewed as a harbinger of evil and should be killed on sight. There's even one belief that if it points its long bony finger at you, which we'll talk about here in a minute, uh, you will be marked with death. The uh, Sakalava people, I probably said that wrong, so I apologize, but the Sakalava people go so far as to claim the eyes sneak into houses through thatched roofs and murder the sleeping occupants by using their middle finger to puncture a victim's major arteries. Have you ever heard of a primate with so much superstition behind it. Well, maybe bats. Okay. But just with their um, link to Dracula, I think, yeah, is probably yeah, the big yeah. one. But I don't know. Do you really think the IIs deserve such a bad rap? Well, yes, they do. Because just look at them. Seriously, it looks like it came out of a fever dream. It has dark fur all over its body. It's uh, And then mixed in with this dark hair are these coarse little white hairs that give it a very disheveled look. Also, like I said, the strands are like much lighter in color. And so it kind of gives them this uh, frosted tip look, you know, like the look from <laughs> uh, that was all the rage back with the boy bands in the 90s. Oh, yes. I remember those days. Yeah, dancing in my bedroom. Yeah, they're terrifying, right? Yes, they are terrifying. And I must admit, you know what they do kind of remind me of? What's that? You know the Mexican hairless dogs? Yes. Yeah. Because it's like that wispy hair. That's what yeah, it reminds I mean, me of. <laughs> their, their fur does not do that. I mean, they have a lot of other qualities about them that are terrifying. And we're about to get to those, but their hair does not do them any favors. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Their tails are long, luscious, and probably the only decent looking thing on this animal. Um, they're usually actually longer than the I.I.'s entire body, which eh, not that unusual for primates. Mm -hmm. um, the fur around their head and face is like a cream color. 
and they have those coarse little hairs sticking out all around its face. So it kind of gives them this like mad scientist look. Okay, but can we talk about their scariest part? Absolutely, is their eyes. Yes, geez. The eyes, they're terrifying. They're huge, they're yellow, and they just peer into your soul. I'm like, do they even have eyelids? Because they never seem to close their eyes. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of an eye eye with its eyes closed. And they're just like wide open, Yeah, completely round. I think I'd rather die than come eye to eye with an eye eye. Oh, I see what you uh, did there. That was good. See, <laughs> that was I, good that's one. two for two, I think. I think that's two for two. That was um, good. <laughs> so I'll take it. I'll take it. My description probably won't do it justice. So I recommend everyone just Google a picture of them. It's I-I. It's just like the word eyeball, like I, but with an A at the beginning instead of an E. And then in addition to those terrible eyes, they have big bat-like ears, long, pointy, and bony fingers, which also terrible and terrifying. Um, and then on top of it all, their incisors, which are their, their teeth grow continuously, just like rodents. So some of them have some pretty, uh, gnarly looking uh, smiles. Yeah. The bony fingers get me every time I picture them being used for like some horror movie. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Oh, just gives me chills thinking about them. I, ha- I do have to point out what they look like as infants okay. because it's the best part. They look like an exaggerated version of the adult with even wispier hair around their head. And it kind of makes them look like they're balding. Okay. And their ears are I'm doubting are you, way... but I, I'm going to look this up here now. So they're like, okay, they're kind of like ugly cute because their ears are like way too big for their body. And I almost feel like the creators from Harry Potter got some of their inspiration from the infant eye when creating Dobby the house elf. Uh, okay. All right. So I'm looking at a picture now. And I've never looked up the infants. I know we talk about how cute the baby monkeys are all the time on this show, but I just assumed at no point in this animal's life would they ever look cute. So I just never cared to, but dang, those dudes are all ears. Oh, they're so cute. It's like, it's like an ugly cute. I don't know. Like Dobby's ugly cute. Too. Dobby is ugly cute. Okay. <laughs> I can get on board with that, but then they grow up into something that I would never want to ever see in my life. So although the adults are pretty terrifying and have been uh, central to a lot of local tales. Uh, Before you say tales, I'm not so sure. I think these guys actually are going in there killing people, but that's that's just me. (laughs) But if they were to come in, we do have one advantage over these guys. Okay. And what's that? It's the size. Okay. Yeah. They are very small. Thank goodness. Can you imagine a chimpanzee size eye eye? That is the the tale of horror movies right there. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like... (laughs) Huh. It's it's like a new version of Godzilla. Just yeah, I, I can't even <laughs> imagine these things are. Oh, I'm gonna have nightmares tonight, which is perfect for Halloween. So it's good. <laughs> um, although they are small by our standards, believe it or not, they're actually the largest nocturnal primate in the world, weighing in at six pounds. Or for people who don't like to use pounds, two point five kilograms. Wow, the bar is set really low on that one, huh? Yeah, so low that even they might be able to reach it. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That's three for three on Matt's uh, right here. So there we go. It begs the question, though, why might nocturnal primates be so small? And is that an advantage? Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting question. Because, I mean, if they're the largest and they're tiny, I mean, it has to be adaptive somehow. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know how many nocturnal primates there are, but... Um, I have to imagine there are other ones. 
and he's only six pounds. These guys are only six pounds. Like, I wonder if there's an advantage. Boom. Yeah. There you go. Dissertation. Why are nocturnal primates <laughs> right. small? Write it and then up. you could go work with the eye eyes, your favorite. <laughs> On second thought, I'm going to pass. We'll stick to capuchins. Yeah, that's what I thought. One thing I did want to point out about this species is their very unique third finger, though. Oh, the finger. Because it's so distinctive. It's really, really skinny and has a ball and socket joint, so it can move 360 degrees around, which I just can't even. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like doing it with my <laughs> finger right now as we speak. You see, the eyes use this finger in a special type of foraging called percussive foraging. Basically, they walk along a branch and the animals continuously and rapidly tap it with a specialized finger. Cupping their huge ears forward, the eyes listen intently to the echoing sound coming from their tapping. And when the sound indicates that they're above a hollow area or an insect tunnel, the animal begins to tear off the enormous trunks of the outer bark with their impressive teeth. Impressive is a, is a good word there. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying teeth. And they insert their slender and highly flexible third finger into the hole when the prey is located and hook them at the tip of their finger, just like, you know, fishing. Yeah, but with a terrifying <laughs> finger. Well, it's kind can of you, a remarkable, what was that? I was going to say, can you imagine being an insect and like the bark coming up and you just seeing those bright yellow oh eyes? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a remarkable adaptation to like, which allows them to like fit in a small ecological niche that really only allows them to compete with like other eye eyes for grubs and insects. But I agree with you. And taking that a step further, can you imagine if we, this is a horror movie right here. Like we could totally do this. Horror <laughs> movie, be you're being chased by an eye eye. Like if you're an insect and you just hear the. Oh yeah. Oh just my like, God. Oh, nope. <laughs> yep. Like I'm hiding in a closet and yeah, just the tapping. I feel of the, like no. that is already a horror movie. <laughs> oh, probably. But like with these guys. Yeah, no. Yeah. Nightmare fuel. Although I did want to go back to you um, pointing out that they fill this really small ecological niche. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the ecological niche that they fill is the same ecological niche that you see woodpeckers fill. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes. I mean, that makes sense. I don't know if they have woodpeckers in Madagascar, but from my research, it sounded like they didn't since only the IIs compete with each other. Yeah. But you can see can that, that that's a niche that gets filled around the world. So it's kind of interesting that the primate kind of took over that little niche. Yeah. And it's something else we'll talk about too with regards to lemurs coming up soon, how they were an example of adaptive radiation. So we'll talk about that here in a second, but that's probably part of it. Definitely. Um, but I feel like between you and me, we could definitely come up with some uh, riveting horror movie ideas though. Yeah. I was also thinking these guys would probably be a really good main character for like any kind of anime series. That's true. Like, be really fun to draw yeah yeah <laughs> or even like a supporting character too oh like, yeah like the like the uh what's uh, your uh friend called you know it's like the main character and what's the what's, foil like what's, no what's robin to batman oh like a sidekick holy taxidermy yeah a it'd sidekick. be like a sidekick it would be they would be a good sidekick <laughs> yeah for anime um but yeah so matt moving on just so we mentioned that the IIs use their finger to locate insects in the wood. So what else do the IIs eat? People. No, no, I'm, I'm just, did I say that? I'm sorry. 
I don't, I don't think they could fit a person in their tiny little body. Yeah, well, maybe they just <laughs> they kill them and feast on them over time. It's a long time. Like but, maggots. Yeah. No, they're actually their diet is highly specialized, consisting almost entirely of invertebrates, with some nuts and seeds. The animals are also known to raid coconut, lychee, and mango plantations. I could not think of a worst pest. Um, honestly, at that point, if they're raiding my plantation, might as well sign the property over to the IIs and move away. They would probably really like that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I would too. I would be able to sleep at night. So, yeah. Technically, IIs are lemurs. Mm -hmm. And most people know what lemurs are. But in case you don't, they are the most distantly related primate to humans and are exclusively found on the island of Madagascar. So you won't find them anywhere else. Yeah. Fun fact, they were originally thought to be the largest species of squirrel when they were first discovered. And that kind of speaks volumes about the weird appearance of these guys. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to their teeth. Part of the reason they thought that was because their teeth, their incisors continuously grow, which is not common in primates. Our teeth don't. We've... Yeah. Our teeth don't continuously grow. <laughs> that would be funny, but our teeth don't continuously grow. So that's one of the reasons they thought they were a squirrel because rodents' teeth do that. Yeah. Honestly, though, it's kind of rude to squirrels. Just saying. I'm pretty sure the, the, the squirrels were mad at the fact that this was the classification. We do not want them in our group. <laughs> and then you have the primates. You can have them back. <laughs> Although the II is classified as a lemur, it is categorized in a group all on its own because its closest lemur relative is a mystery even today. I think this is a good time to briefly talk about the lemurs since we're bringing up that topic. Yeah, that's a perfect idea. So lemurs are found on Madagascar. Like we said, it's an mm -hmm. island to the southeast of Africa. Mm -hmm. And it's very isolated. And it's a ve But it's a very big island. It's not like a tiny island. And there are almost, I think, about 100 species in this classification of lemur. And they're so cool because they're actually an excellent model of adaptive radiation. Adaptive radiation is basically an evolutionary event in which a lineage of a species rapidly diversifies into newly formed species with different adaptations, and then they fill diff different niches. So the thought for lemurs is that a common ancestor made their way to the isolated island of Madagascar a long time ago, and then over time, all these species just rapidly diversified from this common ancestor to fill the niches on the island. So we were talking about the II specifically, right? It fills the same niche is a, like a woodpecker would. Right. Um, there wasn't something uh, on the island of Madagascar that filled that niche. And so as the species evolved and diversified, the II kind of claimed that niche as its own. Mm -hmm. um, and so you see that with a lot of different lemurs and the ways that they eat, ways that they feed, ways that they like live and are social. And it's like, there's just so much diversity, but they're all like, because of it's like on an island, they predict that it came from one single common ancestor, which is kind of cool. Some of the lemurs look completely different from each other, yeah. which is pretty cool to see that they all radiated like that. Yeah. And I think exactly like DNA evidence seems to suggest that lemurs made their way to Madagascar between 40 and 52 million years ago. And so that's when the lemurs like lineage would have derived from. And I think a big point with this is that when the ancestor made it to Madagascar, there weren't a lot of niches that were filled, yes. which made it so that they could rapidly fill all those yeah. niches. And, and, and if there were niches that were filled, maybe by something else, it's it's very possible that the lemurs outcompeted them. Outcompeted them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that makes sense. 
Yeah. It's just good knowledge to kind of have, especially because we're probably going to be talking about lemurs in the future. Yeah. And you see that with ancient human ancestors as well. There was a huge radiation and you see a lot of different species within the genus Homo. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now there's only one and that's us. So it went through a, this huge radiation where a lot of human-like or ape-like yeah, ancestors homo, like, yeah. yeah, radiated and filled a lot of niches. And then as time went on, kind homo of sapiens. competed the others. We won. Somehow. I love if Oliver was here. Yeah, I love Oliver is here. Oliver would know a lot about yeah, it. Anthropology and stuff. So um, I have to imagine it has something to do. Well, I'm sure there's theories out there. I there's think. a lot of good theories. I actually really like reading some of the theories because some of them are pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. Make you think about um, the human lineage a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, back to the I.I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do we have to? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, come on. I know you love them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I do. But they are scary. They were actually once considered the most endangered mammal in the world. But in recent years, it was discovered that they were more widely distributed than previously thought. Currently, research indicates the II is distributed along the east coast and the northwestern forest in Madagascar. But as the population is not dense, seeing one in the wild is incredibly rare. And I think they're nocturnal, so that probably yeah, yeah, doesn't help. They are. Um, I mean, yeah, like I said that makes sense. They're small, they're nocturnal, they're probably really great at stalking their next victim. I mean, hiding from researchers. And uh, yeah, so it makes sense that they're probably rare to see. Yeah. And on top of being nocturnal, they're also sol solitary foragers. See, even their own species uh, doesn't like them. <clears throat> Who spend up to 80% of the night feeding and traveling through the forest canopy. While the majority of their time is spent in the trees, traveling on ground is reasonably common. Males have huge home ranges between 250 to 500 acres. Well, the home ranges of females are about one-third of that. Male territories may overlap with that of several different males, and although encounters between neighboring males are rare, they are usually hostile. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, Makes sense. is typical in a lot yeah. of primate yeah. species. Nothing unusual there. <laughs> no. Females, uh, you know, surprisingly. <laughs> I know, so, yeah, surprisingly, right? Uh, females ranges do not overlap with those of other females but they always overlap with that of at least one male i sleep in elaborate tree nests during the day with different animals using the same nest on different days so that's interesting um that is really cool <laughs> yeah you, you mentioned that they spend most of their time in the trees, which brings up the topic of their like locomotion, which I think is kind of important to talk about. IIs are able to make use of a wide range of locomotion patterns, including arboreal quadrupedalism, leaping and head first descent, which I think is kind of one of the unique ones. The forces of locomotion can be potentially harmful to their long, slender, terrifying digits. So individuals may curl their fingers or kind of shift their bodies to a different like posture in order to prevent damage to those delicate fingers. Yeah. And I think I even read that that finger had uh, like, it was low bone density as well. Mm. So making them extra fragile. Wow. It's like their secret weapon. So they got to keep it safe. I know, keep it secret. Keep, keep it safe. It safe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the coolest part of this locomotion is their head first descent. 
Yeah, I know, right? They literally climb. So headfirst descent is when they climb down a tree, but their like head is going first. I think I think like squirrels do that. Maybe I'm yeah, wrong though. True. And they go, you yeah. know, kind of straight down, which another reason why they thought maybe they were squirrels. Yeah. But that's I don't think that's typical for primates. Most primates, their mass is probably mm-hmm. like their center of gravity is probably lowered. It makes sense. It doesn't make sense to climb down head first. No. And at least for humans, we definitely don't do that. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, we would die. <laughs> It'd be very hard. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like I'm going up to the roof to fix the roof. And then, oh, going back down the ladder. But let me go head first, you know. Head first <laughs> down the ladder. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, yeah. You go down the ladder real fast. That's for sure. <laughs> the wild I.I. spends most of their lives alone. The only social interactions occur during courtship or when an infant is carried by its mother. During courtship interactions, females are considered to be dominant over males, giving them preferential access to food. In human care, however, a male-female pair and their single infant is very commonplace to have them coexisting peacefully in a group under human care. So it kind of makes me wonder, and this is just kind of an aside, because I've heard this theory with orangutans is Mm -hmm. that because they're also solitary but there's question on whether or not they would be solitary if there were more in the population and it's just a fact of um low density that they don't interact with each other that much but if there were more they might because Mm -hmm. they are social when they are with each other yeah a lot of primates are social so it makes sense and it kind of like reminds me of this that in captivity orangutans will live in groups mm-hmm. and then here it says that the ii's will also live in group or in a male female pair so it makes me wonder about that if that's a possible hypothesis for why they might be so solitary in the wild compared to yeah yeah i mean that's a good thought i mean the difference though orangutans are like cool to look at <laughs> <laughs> And they're like cute. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if you're an I.I. and you walk up on another I.I.? Like, can you imagine being like, it's like when someone says, oh, like, this is, I met your doppelganger. And then you meet them and you're like, I didn't think that person was very attractive. Can you imagine if you're an I.I.? Like, it's going to happen every time. And you're time. like so disappointed. You're like, yeah. that's what people think I, I look yeah, like? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> can you imagine like an I.I. looking back at yourself in the mirror? It's like, oh. Mm. <laughs> well, like, better go start my terrible day now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's probably why they want to stay solitary. They don't yeah, have to yeah, look at each so. other. <laughs> The hypothesis might apply to orangutans, but I don't know. I'm so convinced with the II. It's the looks. It's the looks. Although several IIs may be found grouped in the same location, specifically around feeding sites, this aggregation is actually pretty rare to see. Nice. I almost said aggression too. <laughs> and when they do occur, there are often many agonistic male-male interactions that result in chases, fights, displacements. And then female interactions are even more rare. Like we mentioned, their home ranges do not overlap, Mm -hmm. but they are too aggressive to each other. Yeah. And when the IIs get excited or agitated, they, like they might in these competitive interactions, their long, mostly white, coarse hair kind of stands up on its end. It's like the erection that happens in a lot of animals, but... Um, this, this happens all over their body and it looks kind of weird because they're like little white hair stand up. Um, and it gives them this kind of poofy appearance. In some cases, the hair poofs up so much that the eye can actually appear to double in size. This adaptation may have evolved as a strategy to make the eye look more threatening to predators, but it can also be seen at times when the animal's not threatened. So there's still some kind of thoughts. But like I said, I, I always think back to like humans, like 
the idea of like pyloerection and stuff like that is something that happens in like in dogs even but like i was gonna say dogs yeah but sometimes it's like you know could be there could be other factors at play yeah or being scared yeah i also see that happen with dogs when they get scared yeah but i'm looking at a picture of a poofy eye right now and they kind of remind me of like a porcupine yeah yeah they do it looks like a porcupine because the white hairs are standing up and then you've mm-hmm. got like the black hair so it looks like a bunch of like little thin white coarse hairs mm-hmm. yeah oh, god and the finger <laughs> look at the it finger the finger let's look at it oh, i know it's goodness. so tiny i do want to mention their um mating cycles because obviously they interact mostly during the time when they're trying to mate and during these mating cycles females typically mate with more than one male okay so like a multi-male multi-female mating system yeah exactly unlike other lemurs ii breeding can occur at any time of the year though okay interesting and the first recorded birth of an ii in human care was little blue devil in 1992 oh it's the same age as me (laughs) whose mother Endora was captured in madagascar while she was pregnant so the fact that they named it blue devil is triggering oh that's because you went to unc right well yes so i have to imagine that blue devil was born at the duke lemur center so given what i know about duke naming it after their mascot is a pretty on brand yeah that that does make some sense and I am feeling some tension there, Matt. Oh, it's not tension. It's just hate. <laughs> so UNC and uh, Duke are pretty uh, competitive. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, clearly there's a front runner, but, you know. <laughs> I'm going to guess it's not Duke. <laughs> but on a serious note, yeah. though, the Duke Lemur Center is pretty mar- remarkable place. Uh, yeah, just hate that it's associated with such a sorry university no i'm joking i'm joking duke is great duke is great i wanted to quickly talk about the mother offspring relationship so in the wild infants are weaned as early as seven months but they will continue nursing as long as they remain with their mothers and do not have any younger siblings okay so have you have you watched game of thrones yes i have okay you know that reminds me of robin aaron who the, oh the yeah. Kid who's breast, yeah, yeah. That's how I immediately thought. Yeah, I mean that's a creepy kid. Creepy kid. So creepy kid. And uh <laughs> nursing until what he was like nine years old, yeah. 10, ten years. I mean yeah. he was I think he was king and still nursing. Yep. <laughs> Robin Aaron vibes right there. Uh, yeah. It's a good show though. <laughs> it is a great show. Except great the show. last season. Uh, well, we forget about that sometimes. So <laughs> they they're coming out with a new one. Do you know that? They're coming out with a prequel. Oh, There's yeah, I did hear it. about that. Yeah, yeah, it's like something of the dragon or something. I, I have heard rumors that they want to remake the last season, too. That would be cool. Which I would hope. That they and would. a way, big waste of money, but, you know, <laughs> it would be awesome. The I.I. females reach sexual, sexual maturity around two years old. The gestation period is, on average, 172 days. And in human cares, uh, females give birth every two to three years. And... 
of course, as we always like to finish up, we want to talk about the current status of the species. The II has been listed as an endangered species since the 70s. And in 1992, the IUCN estimated the total population to be between 1,000 and 10,000 individuals, which it's a broad range, but remember they're nocturnal, they're solitary, so it's kind of hard to see them sometimes. So getting a population count is probably pretty difficult. Yeah. The main threats to II populations are loss of habitat and hunting pressures. Unlike many lemur species that are hunted for food, IIs are usually treated as like crop threatening pest, or in some cases, many villagers will regard this animal as an evil omen. And so they will often be killed because of that. So some of the stuff that I talked about in the beginning where like you need to kill the II if it points its middle finger at you, which no offense, II, but uh, you're not really doing yourself any favors. Well, luckily for the II, there's at least 16 protected areas, and several of these locations appear to have healthy and stable populations. Additionally, humans have taken in some of these primates under their care. Currently, worldwide, the population of IIs being taken care of by humans is about 50 individuals. All of which descended from the original eight IIs at the Duke Lemur Center. Today, in the United States, nine reside at the Duke Lemur Center. And 14 are held at six AZA institutions. And AZA, if you're not familiar, is the uh, Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Yes. So 14 are held at six of these institutions across the country. And overseas, you see, you can find some at the Bristol Zoo, London Zoo, Paris Zoo, Tokyo Zoo, and Frankfurt Zoo. I have actually been, so if you haven't listened to our first episode, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, which is 15 minutes away from Durham, which like oh, is where the Duke point, Lemur yeah, Center which is. Where Duke Lemur Center is, and where Duke's campus is. And so I've actually been to the Duke Lemur Center, oh, and so cool. they, I have seen the II exhibit. I've been inside, so they have like an actual. It's like a room. It's like a oh, it's a building, cool. and it's kept really dark. And so, um, but they have like red light. So kind of like if you've ever been to a zoo yeah. and you see like the vampire bat exhibit, right. where it's like dark, but then they put the red light because. It's hard for them to see the red light, yeah. so it seems like it's dark to them. It's kind of a creepy exhibit. Creepy. They not not like they did a bad job. Like they did a great job. And you go in there and it's like pitch black except for the red light, and you like can sometimes like see their eyes like peering are they at a, you. Are they as scary in real life? Oh yeah, yeah. They're 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 pretty scary. And when they move too, they just like it's so easy to look at a Google image picture and be like, oh, that's a terrifying, ugly looking primate. But like when they move and like they, you see them like crawling on all fours, and you're like, yeah. No, thanks. So, <laughs> Well, now we know which species you won't be doing comparative studies with. <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, no. So I'm sure hope, I, I sure hope we are able to keep this species alive. But if they didn't survive, I guess they wouldn't haunt my nightmares anymore. But we really do. You know, they serve an important part uh, in their ecosystem. So, Or they'll stay alive in your nightmares. That's true. They could just stay alive <laughs> in my thoughts. So I might as well keep them alive on this planet too. So, <laughs> so they can stay out of there. But yeah. Everyone I, have a happy Halloween. Yeah, happy um, Halloween. Woo, and we're uh we're gonna go celebrate. All right, Oliver. Cue that outro and make it extra spooky.